said he would never leave me nor forsake me. And I found that there's somebody else that's going through, and that surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And when my, when pastor was teaching, I walked where Jesus walked. I went to the tomb and we stood there and we wept and we wept and we wept to know that that human being took that for me. Praise the Lord. 
we should all be so fortunate. Amen. Amen. Well, let's take our Bibles and open the book of Jonah. Jonah. We have had a tremendous morning already. It just seems like every time, every service is just better and better. Yes. We're going to be reading this morning in Jonah chapter 2. We're going to read verse 10 through Jonah 3 verse 4, which is our next um, paragraph, if you will. So if you found your way there to that portion of Scripture, would you stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word? Chapter 2, verse 10, And the Lord spake unto the fish, and it vomited out Jonah upon the dry land. And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, and go unto Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. So Jonah arose and went unto Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceeding great city of three days' journey. And Jonah began to enter into that city a day's journey, and he cried and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. This is where we are today. Jonah is on the right track, doing the right thing, and in the right direction, preaching the message that God has sent him to preach. I want to spend some time today talking about the the restoration of the called. The restoration of the called. I hope that you'll pray with me now and ask the Lord to speak to you. Maybe uh, you are here today and you are in need of restoration. Uh, God is able and God is willing and there's a definitive path to restoration. I hope that you'll pray with me. Father, thank you for this good day. Thank you, Lord, again for your blessings thus far. And Father, I pray as we enter into this time of worship and word uh, that, God, you would give us clarity of thought and clarity of speech. And God, that you would help us uh, to have eyes that see and ears that hear. And, Father, that we would have a will to obey. Father, I love you today. I'm thankful, uh, Father, beyond words to be standing here today with this opportunity. I'm not deserving, but God, you've loved me and you've granted this opportunity. And Lord, I pray that you would work in this moment as only you can. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. As we closed uh, last week, we considered the result of Jonah's disobedience, which was prayer. Uh, his, the immediate result was to be swallowed. Uh, the result of the swallowing was a time of prayer. It's very clearly, very evidently seen in chapter 2 verses 1 through 9 and, and there's a ton of praiseworthy material right there in those nine verses because what we noticed is that that prayer uh, was responded to by God. And in the response of God, we see that God heard the prayer. And Peter says, cast all your cares upon him because he cares for you. And today, if you will pray unto God, he will hear you. God heard. 
And then we realize that according to Jonah, he was uh, cognizant of the fact that God held the penitent in his hand the whole time. You had me. And then we saw that God was holy, which is uh, an immutable or a never-changing characteristic of God in that he is holy and it speaks to his prerogative to judge. He can judge as he sees fit. And then we noticed, uh, lastly, that he helped by restoring Jonah's life. As we concluded that message last week, we have this far in the study, four or five paragraphs in, whatever uh, the number is, established two very dependable concepts that I, I hope that you've been thinking about them. But the first is that all Christians are called, but not all are compliant. We've reiterated that each week. And it, it does not go without saying, if you're a born-again believer, you have been called to a work for the Lord. Amen. Whether or not you've been compliant to that work, it's evident in your life. All are called, but not all are compliant. The second truth that we have established, dependable concept, is that every disobedient Christian will be disciplined. God loves you. You are a child of God. And every son whom he loves, every child whom he loves, he chastens. And every born-again Christian who is disobedient to God will be disciplined, some to restoration, some to destruction. It just depends on their response to that discipline. Today I want to establish a third dependable concept, and I only just saw this this week, and I hope that you will bear with me for a few moments. But the concept is this. The natural reflex of repentance is obedience. The natural reflex of repentance is obedience. And I believe that this passage of Scripture demonstrates that. Notice with me first that repentance allows restoration. Repentance allows restoration. Or you could say it brings restoration. But it certainly allows for restoration to begin. That's what we see in verses, uh, verse 10, that the Lord spake and the fish vomited out Jonah upon dry land. If we wanted to get that in context, we would probably need to remember our reading from last week, in verses 8 and verses 9, Jonah begins to repent. Uh, they that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. He's taken the responsibility upon himself. He has forsaken the mercy of God. He has chosen a deceit, a deceptive communication rather than doing that thing that God has called him to do. And because of that, uh, he is in this judgment. And now he says, but I will sacrifice unto thee with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay that which I have vowed. And he gives us this very solid truth which should be shouted from every rooftop. Salvation is of the Lord. Amen. Then, verse 10, the, the Lord speaks and the fish uh, vomits him out. The restoration, I want you to notice a few things. The restoration was immediate and complete. It was immediate and it was complete, but likely marked the man for the rest of his life. It's very important that we accomplish this understanding. If we, if we consider chronologically, we see the repentance and we see the restoration, boom, boom, it happens. The repentance is there, he spat out. The restoration is there. The repentance 
In this case, and I believe this is conceptually true across the board, the repentance is ushered in by reality. And the reality in this case is that God is sovereign. And if sovereign, then, then he is certainly in control. And that reality precedes, precedes that representative truth spoken by Jonah that salvation is of the Lord. So one thing that we would want to establish today, that we would want to leave here clearly understanding today, is that concept that salvation is of the Lord. I want to bear down on that just for a minute. Salvation is not of works. It is not of education. It is not of knowledge. It is not of wisdom. It is not of personal sacrifice. It is not of membership. It is not of any other accomplishment of man. Salvation is of the Lord. It is a free gift that has been proffered unto you, which was purchased by God and propitiated by the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the... Definite article, one and only, the mediator between God and man. If you are born again today, you are born again because of the work of Christ and it is of the Lord. If you are not, you cannot earn it, you do not deserve it, you cannot purchase it. It is of the Lord. And the, the path to Restoration is repentance. Repentance allows for restoration. As soon as repentance is recorded, the moment that repentance is recorded, the Lord spoke and the fish spit. Like that. It was immediate. In every situation throughout the scriptures, what we'll notice is that repentance is followed by restoration. When the children of Israel repented, they were restored. Multiple times in the book of Judges, every time with a scar, but multiple times in the book of Judges. When David repented of his sin against God with Bathsheba, he was restored to righteousness with God. Again, there was a mark left, and we'll see that in a moment. But he was restored. Time and again, restoration follows repentance. In fact, I thought this morning, just scribbled this down in pencil. Even the thief on the cross upon repentance was restored to eternity in the presence of God rather than hell. In the moment. Lord, remember me today. You shall be with me in paradise. Restoration follows repentance. I believe... As we stated, or if we believe, as we stated last week, that God works through difficulties in our life. And he does so with a mind to discipline, to direct, to develop, or to demonstrate. So he's either trying to discipline us for something that we have done, said, uh, acted on, and, and, and been implicated with, 
or he is doing so to direct us away from such a thing that would bring about discipline, or he is doing so to develop us because uh, James would tell us that we ought to uh, find it all joy when we find ourselves in the middle of those things because they work patience, and patience is endurance, and that brings about godliness, and or he is doing so to demonstrate his power, his goodness, his love, his mercy, his grace, or his sovereignty towards us. If we believe that, then we should also believe that God is seeking agreement in every situation. He is usually looking for a repentant action, and he is doing so in order to restore. Jonathan Edwards would preach this tremendous sermon that brought about one of the early great awakenings of sinners in the hands of an angry God. And he would do so with, what, with such power and unction from the Holy Spirit of God that, uh, that without any drama, without any stage presence, without any uh, fancy lighting or comfortable seating, that people would be so convicted as to cling to the, the back of the bench as if hell would open up and swallow them. And he would drive them to repentance with the fear of an angry God perched, waiting to destroy sinners. And I have no argument for Jonathan. But I will tell you this. God is working in your life seeking to restore and redeem. Now, is that other thing going to occur if you do not repent? Absolutely, 100%. If there is an eternal heaven, there most certainly must be an eternal hell. I don't believe anybody that says otherwise. But God's desire is not to destroy you. If it was, he would do so today and it would be over. His desire is to restore. Indeed, in this case, uh, that's what he does with Jonah. He restores him and in these difficulties that Jonah faced and that we all face... We actually glimpse the love of God because he is exerting effort to bring about repentance that would bring about restoration. Peter would say it this way, he's long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to him through repentance. And, and Jonah here is restored, he's, he's placed back on dry land, he is back on his own two feet, and he's given a, yet another opportunity to be obedient He's restored. In fact, I don't know that we could track it uh, historically exact, but if you look at several of the maps that are offered for Jonah's travels, it was, it was just a cul-de-sac in the water. He was put right back where he started. He got on that ship and he went out a ways, and then he got in that fish and the fish brought him back right to where he was and spit him back out. And I could accept that. But I think we have to understand also that he was marked by this. I think this is almost an understatement. Is it reasonable to believe that Jonah had no signs of damage or what I would like to call residue of rebellion? Is there no mark on Jonah that would indicate where he had been? And immediately my mind goes to Jacob. I think, well, did Jacob limp or did he not? Uh, he did. 
I think of David, I mentioned a moment ago, David was forgiven for the sin with Bathsheba and he was restored to a righteous place with God. Psalm 51 will tell you that. But he also lost the child of that love and he was given a curse in his kingdom among his family that revolves around disunity and sexual immorality. That was the mark. And so we would see Jonah and we would say, surely there's some form of mark on, on, of a mark on Jonah. And this is what we could say. We, we understand that sin leaves a scar and rebellion is a sin. And so here's Jonah. He's been marinating for three days in gastric juices. Is that gross or what? It's disgusting. Well, how do you know that he had any more? He was in three days for, in gastric juices. Have you ever laid in a bathtub too long and seen what it does to you? <laughs> Just imagine if it was really hot and really stinky and had acid in it. So I'm confident that, in fact, I think it was purposeful. I just discovered this the other day, and it's not something I would build a doctrine around, but do you know what God the Ninevites worshipped? They worshipped the fish god. So God sends Jonah, and Jonah, thinking uh, he is of his own volition, rebelling, goes out and gets swallowed by a great fish, and then he is uh, spat back up on the ground, and he has been marinating in it. He looks like it. He smells like it. And he has to walk for a few days to get there. I can assure you, word got to them before he did. <laughs> the odor probably came as well, right? So what I think we see there is that the marks and the signs of what he had been through likely gave him power and testimony among the Ninevites who actually worshipped that fish god. There's another principle right there. I, I have been so enamored with this study this time around. But there's another principle there. And, and it is this, that if sin leaves a scar, the sin should never uh, disqualify. Let's put it this way, if we're not careful, we could become overwhelmed by our own inadequacies, by our own testimony, and by our own handicaps, and by the scars of sin and rebellion in our lives. But this is the truth, the sin should not disqualify or disable, rather it should be distinguishing uh, degrees of experience. Now let me clear that because I want it to be scripturally correct. The sin, active, disqualifies. It's going to help you in a number of arguments that are happening in the media today. The active state of the sin disqualifies. God cannot be in the presence of abject sin. He cannot be in the presence of active rebellion. He is holy. He's righteous. And He has a prerogative to judge. And if he looks on you in that state, he would judge you. The active sin disqualifies. But once the sin is repented of, the scars of that sin do not disqualify. 
they distinguish as one having experience with the goodness of God. Doesn't matter who you are. Doesn't matter how you've lived, what you've done. If you have repented towards God, those marks that are on you and in you are meant to help you carry the gospel to other people with distinguished experience. Who better than a born-again previous addict could tell a current addict, let me tell you what you need. It's not 12 steps, it's one. You need to repent. Who better than someone who threw their family away pursuing wealth and other things who have repented and come to a right walk in God could instruct young men about how to lead their family and not throw it away chasing after wealth and other ungodly things. The sin active disqualifies, but the scar does not. It distinguishes. We see this picture of Repentance that brings or allows for restoration. Look at verses 1 and 2 of chapter 3. And the, the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time, saying, Arise and go into Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. So what we recognize here is that restoration assumes responsibility. Don't you write that down. Restoration assumes responsibility. Repentance allows restoration, and restoration assumes responsibility. Uh, here, uh, we might even say a renewed responsibility. You might even call it a recommissioning, because what we understand is the message did not change, the call did not change, the mission didn't change, the man changed. He repented. Being restored, standing on dry land, likely back where he first started, but now in a right relationship with God, the call comes again. Remember one of our concepts that he, God, will not permanently disqualify a believer for faithlessness. He will set them down, and when they desire to be obedient, he'll put them back in. Jonah says, okay, I'm ready to go back in. And what we notice is that call didn't change. Indeed, the word of the Lord said, go to Nineveh and look how he says that. It depends on what you're holding. Preach the preaching which I bid thee. Or proclaim it to, to it the proclamation that I share with you. Or call out against it the message that I tell you. Nothing changed. The mission, the motivation, the destination, they're all the same. Only the man changed. He is responsibility is assumed. Jonah knew when he was going to repent that the responsibility would be waiting for him. You got to hear this. He did not escape the calling. He did not escape the storm. He didn't escape the fish. He didn't escape the responsibility. And, and what we see is that we should comprehend that repentance removes the blight of condemnation, but it does not remove the burden of the call. It's got to be done. It has to be done. Someone had to carry that message to Nineveh. And when Jonah repented, he, he assumed, that's the responsibility I have. 
Well, what about me and you? We're called to a purpose. Uh, We're called to be salt and light. We are called to be witnesses unto him. We are called to occupy till he comes. We are called to study and to preach the word. We're called to be a workman who need not be ashamed. We're called to walk worthy of the vocation wherewith we are called, the name of Christ. We're called to be a part, an active part of the body of Christ, which is the church. And if you believe any other thing, you're wrong. You're foul. You have misinterpreted the scriptures. Christ said, I will build my church, the ecclesia, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And in the book of Acts, we are introduced to the church, 3,000 added to it the first day. And throughout the book of the Acts, we see the churches established in various different communities. Then Paul wrote letter after letter after letter to who? The church. About what? The church. And then John came along and received the revelation of Christ and immediately mentioned seven churches. You're called to the body. You are called to the body of Christ. We are called. We're called not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. We're called to love the Lord our God with all our hearts, our soul, and our mind. We're called to love our neighbors as ourselves. When we repent, what is the first repentance? The first repentance is of unbelief. When we repent, restoration is made available, and these responsibilities are assumed. They are what is naturally supposed to occur. Not not for salvation, from salvation. Not not for victory, from victory. Not for forgiveness, but from a position of being forgiven. Repentance allows restoration. Restoration assumes responsibility. Look at verses 3 and 4. So Jonah arose and went unto Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceeding great city of three days' journey. Jonah began to enter the city a day's journey, and he cried and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So we see Jonah here being compliant, and this is the point that is made evident. Responsibility anticipates obedience. Responsibility anticipates obedience. Now, I want you to think about that in all walks of life. <laughs> if, if, you, if, if your father, your mother and father come to you, and they say to you, we're going out of town. Anybody ever live this scenario? <laughs> we're going out of town for a couple days. And they give you a list of do's and don'ts. What is the anticipation of that? You would obey it, right? They've given you a responsibility of do's and don'ts. And the anticipation, the expectation is that you're going to fulfill that responsibility. You're going to obey it. You say, yeah, 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 but I didn't and I got away with it. Okay, that's fine. What about on your job? What if your immediate supervisor comes to you? Says, hey, we have this new position available. 
These are the responsibilities. This is the title. These are the qualifications of which you have plenty. And this is the pay. Would you like this new position? Is there or is there not an assumption that you're going to fulfill the responsibilities of that position? It assumes obedience. Why would that be any different, spiritually speaking? It, it wouldn't be. Logically speaking, it wouldn't be. Because God is communicating to us where we live and how we live and what we comprehend. And so uh, responsibility anticipates obedience. I think it's very interesting in this particular passage, the, the, the word so in verse 3. So Jonah arose. So Jonah arose and went, if you prefer. And I want you to understand something here. I'm fixing to share something with you, so I'm going to take a couple of minutes. I am less than well-developed in grammar, okay? Uh, that's not my strong suit. Uh, there are a lot of programs that help with that. Uh, so I'm not going to jump on you about misproper, improperly using some verb or noun or whatever. I don't even play Jeopardy because I don't know for sure the difference, or not Jeopardy, but Will of Fortune, I don't know the difference between a consonant and a vowel. But this is what I, I, I looked at this week. I kept seeing that word, and that phrase, so Jonah arose and went. I was seeing it in juxtaposition to chapter 1, verse 3. But Jonah rose up to flee. You see that? Isn't that interesting? The first call, but Jonah rose up to flee. The second call, so Jonah arose and went. The, the word so right there, if we were dealing with the English language, that is what is known as a subordinating conjunction, right? I got teachers all over the house. This is a nervous right here. I'd rather talk about something else. It's a subordinating conjunction. Basically means connector. It is connecting the thoughts previous to the thoughts current. That's what it's doing. In the, the Aramaic languages and those types of languages, it is actually called a copulative conjunction. Basically means the same thing. It's connector. This is what's interesting. In the Hebrew language, a copulative conjunction possesses demonstrative force. So when you get to this place, that's all Jonah could do. He had repented. He had to obey. It's, a, it's God's funnel. Because God put these, these things in his life and he responded to these things and the whole time God is bringing the funnel down. And when we get to this place, he rode uh, uh, that ship out into the water and he rode the fish back to land. The only thing left to do was obey because repentance is what brought him back to land. And so what we comprehend in that is that, that it's not just connecting the actions. The suggestion is that his actions were expected. That's what should occur. Like this, uh, Corey took a match. And Corey put the match, lit the match, and stuck it to the paper. So the paper caught on fire and burned up. Because that's what you would expect it to do. God had worked in Jonah's life so that the expectation was that he would see the responsibility and respond obediently to the responsibility. God works in your life in exactly the same way. When you repent, 
You are saying, I will be obedient. That's what you're doing. Even the, the very basic first repentance of unbelief. Until that moment, you have served self. And in serving self, you have been disobedient to the one that created you. But in that moment of repentance, you are saying uh, something along the lines of, there is a God, and it's not me. He created me. And I cannot serve me and please him. I have to serve him. And so I'm repenting of my unbelief, and I, it assumes responsibility to be obedient. Yes. And every decision you make after that in the Lord is the same way. We could, we could boil it down to the mun, mundial things of Christianity. Well, will I tithe or will I not? Well, I don't know. Will you be obedient or will you be disobedient? Well, will I witness or will I not? I don't know. Are you going to be obedient or disobedient? Will I attend this or will I not? I don't know. Are you going to be obedient or disobedient? Because every single decision is a decision you're making in response to the responsibility that God has put in front of you to be, to be obedient. Amen. Jonah represents that so clearly. I, I never noticed it until this week, that, that is the natural reflex of repentance, is obedience. You know what we do? We say, and, and I, I do it myself, so you can't, you can't get mad at me, because I say it from the pulpit all the time. Lord, help us be obedient. Uh, Lord, help me, help me be long-suffering. Lord, help me be patient. Why don't, why don't we just say, Lord, I want to be obedient to you. So I will be. I will follow. I, I will be long-suffering. I will be patient. And when I'm not, I will repent. And what happens when you repent? Then you become. I haven't been very long-suffering I'm going to repent of that, so what is the assumption? I will now be long-suffering. Such a clear picture of how we ought to walk with the Lord. The natural reflex of repentance is obedience. If you were defining yourself in relationship to God, would you use the word restraint, or excuse me, resistance, or receptive? What about the two great commandments? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. Resistant or receptive? Are you in need of restoration? Well, no, preacher, I'm saved. Well, praise the Lord. So am I. But tomorrow I might need to be restored. <laughs> Are you in need of restoration? Because the path to restoration is repentance. And repentance assumes responsibility. Are you aware of the responsibilities that God has put in front of you? Have you been obedient to the call? Which one? Any of them? 
Have you been obedient to the call? Maybe it's a call for salvation. Maybe it's a call for redemption. Maybe it's a call for action. Maybe it's a call for repentance. Would you stand with me this morning? The natural reflex of repentance is obedience. Are you and have you been obedient? If not, I would suggest repentance. The altar is open this morning. Father, I pray you'd bless this time of invitation. Prepare our hearts, Lord. Strengthen us in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you come this morning? When we walk with the But we know.